Amen, amen. Well, it's good to be back with you guys this morning. Angela and I were away last week. We went to uh, Colorado, and uh, we got to see some beautiful fall colors. You know, there's places in this country where there are fall colors. I don't know if you knew that or not, right? Here in Texas, it's like hot, hot summer than winter, right? I mean, we get like this two-week period right now, right, with some cool weather, but... Man, it was good, but we missed you guys. It's good to be back. We're going to wrap up a, a series that we started a few weeks back called All In. We kicked it off week one looking at the life of Abram, and we saw that God called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldeans. He called him out of everything that, that had ever been comfortable to him, out of everything that, that was ever familiar to him or gave him any kind of sense of, of security. He called him out of all of those things and into the great unknown. And, and when he called him to embrace this adventure and, and to venture out into this uh, great unknown, God made a few promises to him, right? He, he promised to bless him. And he promised to make him a blessing so that through him, the entire world would be blessed. And we know that through the line of Abraham came Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who died on a cross for the sins of the world so that any who would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so if you're a believer this morning, if you're a, a Christ follower today, you are experiencing the blessing that God promised to bring about through Abram so long ago when he called him to embrace adventure. It's amazing, really, when you think about it. Week two, we talked about uh, how Jesus Christ came. He left his throne in heaven. He, he set his glory aside. He came to earth and he came for one specific purpose, and that was to die on a cross for the sins of the world. We said Jesus was willing to do whatever it takes to bring you and me into the kingdom of his Father. And he proved that by dying an excruciating death on a Roman cross. And after God had raised him and before he ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of God, he gave you and me, his church, one mission. And that was to go into all the world and make disciples of every single nation. Jesus has charged you and me to do whatever it takes to see as many people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior as possible. That's what we exist for. That's why we're here. That's the job he has given us. And so today we're going to wrap up with the passage in Luke chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 9. And we're going to be looking at a passage where Jesus articulates what he requires of everybody who decides to follow him. This is, a, this is a, an important passage for Christ followers, for Christians to embrace, to understand, and to believe, right? Because in our culture, we've kind of made following Jesus nothing more really than adding an accessory to your wardrobe, right? It's something that's nice. It's something that makes me feel good, look good, but it's not that costly. It's actually pretty cheap, but it looks all right, right? Don't you like it? But following Jesus is not like adding something to your wardrobe, Following Jesus is costly, and he expects and requires much of everyone who claims his name. And so let's begin looking here in verse 57. Luke chapter 9, verse 57 says this, As they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Let's just stop there for a second, right? Because if you're Jesus, you're... You're the son of God, you're a rabbi, you're a teacher, you're, you're bringing in the new covenant, you're proclaiming that the kingdom of God is, is here, right? And, and you're, you're, you're explaining this message, you're preaching this message, you want people to listen, right? 
You want people to respond. You want people to follow. And here's a guy who comes up to Jesus and says, I will follow you wherever you go. That's exactly what you would think Jesus wants to hear. I mean, if I was in Jesus' shoes, I'd be saying, amen, come on, buddy, join the group. Let's do this thing, right? But that's not how Jesus responds to him. This is what Jesus says. Jesus told him, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What was Jesus saying to this man? He was saying something very simple. He was saying, look, you, you say you will follow me wherever I go. Well, I just want you to know that I'm homeless. I don't have a place to rest my head. And if you're willing to follow me, it might mean that you're going to be homeless too. Are you willing to follow me if it means that you won't have a place to lay your head either? See, what Jesus is, is getting at is, is something very simple but also very profound. Following Jesus requires personal sacrifice. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. People who follow Jesus are not living for this life. We're living for the life to come. We're not living for this world, but for the world to come. Our home is not here, but our home is with him in heaven. And if we're going to follow Jesus, then we have to be willing to make personal sacrifices. I remember listening to another pastor share his testimony one time. And when he was in middle school, he was a baseball player. He was really talented athlete, played select leagues. Everybody had real high hopes for him. He had high hopes for himself. He wanted to play in high school. He wanted to play in college. He wanted to go on to be a professional athlete. That was his dream. That was the trajectory that, that he had set for his life. That was the mission that he was going to accomplish. He's in eighth grade. He started attending a, a, a youth group, and he, uh, he decided to put his faith and trust in Jesus. He became a Christian. He got baptized. He started attending church regularly, and he heard a sermon one time from his pastor on the cost of discipleship. And he was really stirred by it. He was really moved by it. Afterwards, his youth pastor talked to him. He said, listen, I want you to understand something. For you, following Christ might mean that you have to sacrifice your dream of becoming a professional baseball player. He said, in that moment, in that moment, I realized what it means to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus means to put his will in his way above my own will and above my own way. To follow Jesus, he said, is to, 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 for all my hopes, for all my aspirations, for all my ambitions to play second to what Jesus calls me to do. That's what it means to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus requires personal sacrifice. And so what's your ideal life? What if you could have anything in this world that you want, what would that be? I was talking to a friend of mine about that. He told me if he could do anything, he would be a graphic designer. I said, really? <laughs> graphic designer? He said, well, what would you do? I said, man, I don't know, but it would involve me making a ton of money so that I could retire at 35, buy a massive yacht, and live the rest of my life on the water. That's what I would do. But what would you do? What would you do? Some of you are chasing a dream. Some of you have great ambition, great aspirations, things that you want to achieve, things that you want to accomplish, areas in life that you want to succeed. And there's nothing wrong with having a dream or having ambition or, or wanting to succeed. But the question that you're going to have to be able to answer today is if Jesus calls you to sacrifice all of that, are you willing to do it? Because to follow Jesus 
requires personal sacrifice. Keep reading in verse 59. Then Jesus said to another, follow me. So, so the first guy came up to Jesus all bold and excited. I'll follow you wherever you go. Now here Jesus is speaking to another individual. He says to him, follow me. And this is how the man responds. He says, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Now that sounds like a reasonable request, doesn't it? Like, Lord, I want to follow you. I'm willing to follow you, but I need to bury my father who has recently passed away. That sounds like a reasonable request. You would think Jesus would say, that's great. Go do that. We'll meet you back here in a week and we'll do this thing. But that's not how Jesus responds, is it? Look at verse 60. But Jesus told him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. I mean, does anybody expect that response from Jesus? Oh, your father died? Well, let other dead people go and bury him. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. See, when Jesus told him to follow me, that wasn't a request, it wasn't an invitation, it was a command. Follow me. It's in the imperative form. It wasn't a suggestion. He wasn't asking. He was commanding, you follow me. And so the problem here isn't whether or not what the man wanted to do was a good thing or not. It was a good thing. Jesus commands us also to honor our mother and father. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't whether or not that was a good thing to do or not. It was about obedience. It was about obedience. Are you willing to follow Jesus first? That's a question we all need to ask and answer. Following Jesus requires immediate obedience. Listen to me. There's lots of things in our lives that are good things that become obstacles to us following Jesus. Let's just talk about busyness. People in the United States today are ridiculously busy. Anybody ever get frustrated because you don't have enough free time? Anybody ever get frustrated because you don't have enough time to get all the things done that you need to get done? We jam-pack our schedules full of things that make us busy, busy, busy. And most of the time, it's good stuff. We have to work, right? We have to work. We have a family. We've got to spend time with our kids. We want to relax, right? But we, we jam-pack our schedule so full of things, right? Like how much time do we spend watching TV every week? There's nothing wrong with watching TV, right? But how much time are you spending doing that? Or how much time do you spend on the weekend watching football, fellas? Right? I mean, we got college on Saturday, NFL on Sunday, right? We got Thursday night, Monday night. Are there more football? You said football every night now, right? It's like all the time, right? I mean, we're just watching football. There's nothing wrong with watching football, right? But these are good things. It's fun things. You can have a good time doing these things, right? But we jam-pack our lives so full of stuff that we don't even have time to listen and obey Jesus. We don't even have time to get into the word. We don't even have time to pray to our Father in heaven. We don't even have time to invest in the lives of younger believers, to train them up in the faith so that they might become mature. We don't even have time to, to step outside of our busy schedule to speak the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to somebody who is perishing. See, good things can become bad things when they become the main thing rather than what Jesus 
is calling us to do. See, following Jesus requires personal sacrifice, but following Jesus requires immediate obedience. When he gives us a command, when he gives us a call, there's no negotiating. You don't negotiate with the King of Kings or the Lord of Lords. You say, yes, Lord, and go. But we do this, right? Think about, think about in terms of giving. Right? We know what the Lord requires of us. God expects us to tithe 10% of all of our income to him. So many times we come up with excuses not to do that, and it's good excuses. I had, a, I had to take some money out of my savings to get my car repaired, and once I build that back up to where I feel safe and secure, then I'll start giving to God again. Or, you know, I'm, I'm really to a place in my life where I want to buy a house, and I need a down payment, and, and if I can start to save that money aside, once I get that little nest egg so I can make that accomplishment and, and move into that phase of my life, then I'll start giving to the Lord. Some of you who have graduated from college, you've got student loan debt, and you're thinking, as, as soon as I can get that paid down, then I'll start giving to the Lord. And there's, there's nothing wrong with, with building up your savings account. There's nothing wrong with wanting to buy a home. There's nothing wrong with paying your student loans. In fact, you should do that, okay? If you don't, people will call you a lot and become very annoying. So pay your student loans. But the point is, we can distract ourselves with good things rather than obeying Jesus, which is the best thing. Right? I mean, I remember listening, and last night I listened to Pastor Russ's sermon he gave last week, which I thought was uh, an incredible message. Um, and and he, he quoted that passage of the Gospels where Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. The reason we don't obey Jesus immediately is because we don't believe the last part of that verse that all of these other things will be added to us. And so we think, Jesus, I'll follow you, I'll obey you, but let me take care of these things. But listen, when Jesus calls you to himself, he calls you 100%. You've got to seek him, seek his kingdom first and trust him to provide all of these other things. We need to obey Jesus instantly. When we don't, we get in the habit of delaying our obedience. Those excuses begin to pile up and pile up and pile up. And before we know it, we're just lost, right? And when you allow excuses to, to interrupt your obedience to Jesus, then you miss out on being a part of what God is doing right in front of you. You think about John chapter 2, the wedding at Cana, there's this big wedding feast going on. Jesus' mother Mary is there, and, and uh, you know, the, the greatest wedding tragedy ever happens. They run out of wine. <laughs> and so she's some kind of hostess or something at this wedding. She comes to Jesus, and she says, Jesus, we've run out of wine. And he says, well, what does this have to do with me? And she sends some servants over to him, and she tells the servants, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And you know how the story goes. Jesus tells them to get these massive jars uh, and fill them with water. And then he tells them to scoop out some water and take it to the master of the ceremony. Now think about this, okay? They're out of wine. This strange guy that you don't really know from Nazareth is telling you to fill up water, scoop it, and take it to the master of the ceremony. That's a weird thing to ask, right? That's a weird thing to ask. In fact, it'd be pretty embarrassing if it didn't turn into wine and the master of the ceremony tasted water, right? If you're a servant, you're out of a job, okay, after that. 
But that's what Jesus told them to do. He said, fill it up with water, scoop it out, take it to the master of the ceremony. You know what? Jesus turned that water into wine. The master of the ceremony tasted it. He got all pumped up because he thought, man, you guys saved the best wine for the end of this wedding. And nobody does that. Nobody does that, right? Well, if you read the gospel, you understand this was the first sign that Jesus performed in the gospel of John. And his disciples saw it and they believed in him as the Messiah. Jesus turned this water into the wine to reveal himself to the people of Israel as the Messiah, the Son of God, who came to usher in the new covenant, the season of God's grace. And had those people not obeyed Jesus, they would have missed out on being a part of that incredible work of God. So I want you to think about your own lives, right? Because we all know what it's like when Jesus calls us to do something and we're either afraid or we've got other obligations or things competing with our obedience to him and we don't follow through. And then we see God do something amazing. We all know what it's like to miss out, right? But you don't want to miss out on the work of God. Jesus calls us, Jesus commands us, and he expects immediate obedience, Let's keep reading here in verse 61. Another also said to Jesus, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. We do, I think about, man, people who are wrestling, struggling with coming to faith in Jesus for the very first time. And, and when I talk to people who are, are wrestling with this, they want to do it, but they're not really ready yet. A lot of times what it comes down to, there's things in my life I haven't done yet that I know Jesus won't approve of that I just want to get out of the way. And then I'll come and follow Jesus. Right? We just put Jesus off. We say, hold on. Let me get through this season of my life. Let me make these accomplishments. Let me live for myself just this much longer, and then I'll follow you. And I want you to know if, if that's you, if you're wrestling with coming to Jesus, if you've got a whole you know, bucket list of things you want to get off uh, the list before you come to follow Jesus, don't delay. If there's one fundamental truth that the Bible teaches us about human beings, it's that our life is a breath. We're, the Bible says we're like dew on the grass. We're here in the morning and we're gone in the afternoon. Nobody's promised you tomorrow. Don't delay. If God is drawing you, to Jesus, his son, if he's calling you to trust in him and find forgiveness of your sins and eternal life, today is the day for you. Don't delay. Don't put it off. This man says, I'll follow you, but first let me go take care of these other things. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. See, Jesus lived in an agricultural society that's why when you're reading the Gospels, you see all of these agricultural references, weeds, tares, all of these parables. Jesus says they're, they're agricultural in nature. This is another example of that. We, we don't really relate to that anymore. I don't know that anybody was out plowing the backyard before you came to church this morning. Anybody? No, I didn't think so, right? So th these things don't always land with us. But what Jesus is saying is when you put your hand to the plow, you've got a course that you're supposed to follow. But if you turn your head back, you come off course. You veer going the wrong way. He says, nobody who says, I will follow me. He says, nobody who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And that's because following Jesus requires full commitment, full commitment. 
I've had the privilege of doing several weddings this year, and I get to do several more uh, through the end of the year and even into next year. People are getting married, y'all. People are getting married in this church. People are getting married. Isn't that cool? Would you like to see people in this church getting married? Yes, me too. Anyways, I love to do weddings. You know, Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes that it's better to be in the house of, the, of mourning than rejoicing, and I believe that, right? It's in the Bible. But sometimes I wonder if he was just having a bad day, you know? I mean, I love to be at weddings. It's fun, man. It's exciting. And I've got three girls, and, and probably one day they're going to get married if, if they ever find the perfect man, okay? But they're probably one day they're going to get married, right? And, and I can just imagine, like, sitting in there as a parent, man. It's, it's got to be, as a dad especially, to watch your daughter get married, you're like, man, this is going to be with this other dude now? And he's like... Oh, you know, like, I don't like that at all. Um, but, but it's probably going to happen, right? So, so imagine, man, you know, you're sitting in, the, in there and you're watching your daughter uh, get married and they're exchanging vows and, and the groom is reading his vows to her and he says something like this. I will love you as long as you are lovely to me. And I will provide for you so long as it does not become too burdensome to me, right? <laughs> and I will be with you so long as I want to be with you. Like, would anybody say I do to that? Like, if that's a, if they're reading that to my kid, I'm like dragging her off the altar, right? Why? Because marriage requires full commitment. You don't go into marriage at 20% or 40% or 80%. You go into marriage with 100%. I will love you so long as I live. I will provide for you every single day of my life. I will be by your side until death do us part. That's what marriage is about. It requires 100% commitment. And following Jesus is exactly like that. He is the bride. The church is the bridegroom. And when we put our faith and trust in him, we go at it with 100% commitment. That's what following Jesus requires. So following Jesus, it requires personal sacrifice. We have to be willing to lay down our, our worldly treasures. We have to be willing to crucify our own ambitions to follow his word, his will, his way. Right? Following Jesus requires immediate obedience. There's no negotiating with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It requires full commitment. And so in light of all of that, seeing how serious, seeing how significant, seeing how costly it can be to follow Jesus, we have to ask the one big question, which is this, is it worth it? Is it worth it? If we have to be willing to lay everything at the feet of Jesus, to be open-handed with it all, to follow him, is it worth it? It's a passage in John chapter 6. You know, Jesus, he, he feeds these 5,000 people, miraculously provides food for them. And then he kind of moves on. He begins to preach from town to town. And these people who, who got a free meal from him begin to follow him around. And they're just kind of not really interested in following him, not really interested in, in listening to his, his teaching or changing their lives, but they're kind of looking for a handout. They just want another free meal. And so after a while, Jesus gets a little bit fed up with all of that. And he preaches this really hard sermon. And, and after he gets done preaching, hundreds, if not thousands of people begin to walk away. 
And so all that's left is Jesus and his 12 disciples. Everybody leaves. And Jesus looks to his 12 disciples and he asks them this question. He says, do you want to go too? Peter looks at him and says, Lord, to whom would we go? For you have the words of eternal life. <laughs> See, following Jesus is costly. You might have to let go of some things. You might have to venture out into some things that you never thought you'd venture out into. You might have to get a little uncomfortable. You might have to let go of a little bit of control over your life. It is costly. It requires personal sacrifice and all of these other things that we've talked about. But what you get in exchange is the one who has the words of eternal life. Somebody amen that. What you get in exchange is the one who has the words of eternal life. So you tell me, what's better? To gain the whole world, but to forfeit your soul? Or to crucify yourself to this world and gain the only one who has the words of eternal life? Is it worth it to follow Jesus? Absolutely, it is worth it. But the question you're going to have to ask yourself and the question you're going to have to answer today is this. Am I willing to follow Jesus no matter what it costs? Let's pray together.